Welcome to Spew, Spectrum People Enjoying Wizardry. I'm Queerness, and I have Asperger's Syndrome. I'm Lavender, and my daughter, Abby Kadabi, has nonverbal autism. And I now call this 28th meeting of Spew to order. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I've got an art show and three venues lined up for teaching. I'm pretty excited. Yeah, you're you're living the good life over there right now. Well, not made any money yet. I'm still spending money, so. <laughs> That'll change soon, though. What have you guys been up to? Oh, uh, same old, same old. Been just busy. Can't believe it's September already. Yeah. Like, for how did that happen? I have no idea how this year is moving so quickly. I was expecting this year to be extremely slow. I was too. Especially because, you know, I'm home all of the time now. And will be at least throughout the remainder of this year. Yeah, I really expected it to go a lot slower, but so far it's been going very fast. Yeah, um, I'm more and more believing the the theory that in 2012, when the scientists created the god particle, that they really did create a wormhole, and that that's the reason why everything is moving faster and faster and faster, and also the reason that the um, Mandela effect, because the Mandela effect basically is tracked back to about 2012. So we're in a a wormhole. Or something. I can see this theory. I don't have enough evidence to say that you're wrong, so... (laughs) Although I I think most of the things that people label as the Mandela Effect are just, like, collective brain not picking up all of the stuff and remembering it properly. Mm. Some of this stuff is pretty convincing, but things like the Berenstein Bears being spelled wrong is just like, no, you just assumed it was spelt the other way and then didn't correct yourself. I don't remember how the Berenstain Bears were spelled when I was younger. I just remember the entity of the Berenstain Bears. But moving on, we got some <laughs> birth dates. Yeah, so for the second half of the month, Hermione Granger is born on the 19th of September, Ollivander on the 25th, and Quirrell on the 26th. I think, yeah, all the deaths we talked about. Would you say? We, t- we, didn't, we don't have any deaths at the moment because... We talked about all the deaths this month at the beginning of the month. Oh. Because we didn't have any specific dates to tie them to. Nope. So, what are we talking about this month? This month, we're going to talk about the beginning few chapters of Order of the Phoenix. Yay. So this is is the beginning of where I don't really remember the books very well. (laughs) Partly because they're very long at this point. See, it's almost the opposite for me. For me, these are more memorable than, you know, say the first two. <laughs> See, I I remember the first two quite vividly. And the third one. I remember uh, Prisoner of Azkaban and Goblet of Fire the most vividly, I think. Goblet of Fire, I was surprised with the amount of stuff I had forgotten. This one, I've been surprised with the amount of stuff I actually remembered. <laughs> <laughs> so... 
in this first chapter, Dudley Demented, there's a water skiing budgie named Bungie, and this makes me very happy. What is a budgie? It is a parakeet. Oh. Why? I don't know. Uh, also, I had to look up budgery guard because I was just like, I've not heard that. Is mm-hmm. budgie short for budgery guard? Apparently it is. <laughs> Listeners here, I'll put that in my notes as what is a budgery guard? And I don't know why it had never crossed my mind to look that up in the first place. I think when I was younger, I thought it was, I thought it was a squirrel. <laughs> and this is, this is when you start getting that transition from over translating to not translating enough. At all. At, well, here's what's interesting, because I've been still listening to the British audiobook while reading the US version of the book at the same time. Mm. And... There's a lot of sentence structure changes in this one that I think are more like the proper American sentence structure type thing. And even though the way it's worded in the British version makes more sense, it's not proper grammar, I believe, is why these changes happened. Well, that sucks, but okay. (laughs) But yeah, you get things like this that are just plain not translated at all and... Context clues isn't super helpful. I mean, obviously it's an animal, but (laughs) beyond that. But then, you know, I guess that's what happened when people complained that they changed the name to Sorcerer's Stone, because that was a stupid choice. It's right along the same lines. Also, the book begins with Harry laying on the ground behind bushes. I like laying on the ground behind things. (laughs) You like hiding? Hiding is relaxing. Abby loves hiding, too. We have turned her closet, which isn't, you know, a massive closet by any means, but it's not tiny. We've turned her closet into like a little, a little playroom. She likes it. She has like a mat in there and her favorite squishy pillows and stuff. And she'll just chill out in there for a little bit. And if you, if you try to go in there while she's in there and you're just like, hey, just checking on you. How you doing? She'll close the door right in your, right in your face. She just doesn't want to be bothered. It's her, her quiet space. And then when the Dementors attack, I had a couple just little phrases that jumped out to me. Think something happy, but there was no happiness in him. Yeah, my takeaway from this chapter was very much along those same lines. It was right before the Dementors attacked. Mm -hmm. And the line is, the feeling of hopelessness that had plagued him all summer rolled over him once again. Which I'm sure made it even harder to produce a Patronus when the Dementors did in fact come. Yeah, this is something I don't understand why they always just make Harry go back to the Dursleys over the summer and not just go to the Weasleys and Hermione just like never sees her parents. Well, we know why Harry has to go back to the Dursleys until he's 17. But yeah, Hermione not having like any type of relationship with her parents has always been concerning. Like, seriously, they only have, like, a week at Christmas and a month in summer, and, like, that's it? And she just stays with Ron the whole time? Yep. And then the one time she was supposed to go um, skiing with them, she cut it off. Arlene was like, nah, I don't even like skiing, Mom and Dad. I'm gonna go hang out with my friends. (laughs) And then we meet Mrs. Fig, the real Mrs. Fig, because... Mrs. Fig as a squib, yes. Yeah, because... It is like meeting her for the first time, even though she has been sprinkled throughout the books up until this point. 
This is our first real meeting of her. And she has a cat named Mr. Tibbles, and that made me happy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She has a lot of cats, but... A lot of cats and just carries around a bag of cat food, apparently. And then we meet Mindungus, who looked deeply uncomfortable because it was a very good business opportunity. He, um... Yeah. These cauldrons. These cauldrons are... How is a cauldron illegal? Is it stolen? I, I... Why is Percy not tracking him? (laughs) Well, these cauldrons, they kind of get slipped throughout the books a little bit from here on out, don't they? I don't really remember. Or or is it just a resounding theme of stolen slash illegal slash, you know, poor quality cauldrons that just have just a very mild undertone throughout the books? We hear Percy talk about them. Mundungus is trying to get his hands on them so he can sell them off. (laughs) Trying to store them at the headquarters. Yeah. I also found this chapter was when the Dursleys finally kind of accept that they can't hide it anymore. They just actually have an open conversation about Harry's life in this chapter. Well, open, maybe not the best way to describe it, but like this is where we get that turning point of they finally accept that there's not much they can do about it and that they're not telling him not to say the words anymore. They're just actually interested in finding out what happened. Yeah, but I don't know if accepting (laughs) would be the word I would use because they're wanting to find out what happened just because simply because Dudley was attacked, was injured. But they could still stay in denial, and they don't. They, they, they finally are just barely starting to get past the denial phase. Yeah. <laughs> one of my favorite, and this, I guess this speaks a lot to my character, but one of my favorite lines in this chapter <laughs> is when Vernon is, he's asking Harry, you know, do your lot have the death penalty? And he's like, he's trying to be, I don't know, covert in how he's asking, I guess. He's just like slipping it into normal conversation like, oh, do your lot have the death penalty? And he's hoping that Harry gets sentenced to death for whatever, for whatever he thinks he's done to Dudley. And then this is also the chapter when we don't know it yet, but when we learn that Dumbledore has in some capacity contacted Petunia. And this is when she gets her howler. And all the howler says is, of course, remember my last. Yeah, this is like... She was trying to make this as, like, secretive as possible, but it's just... It's cringy. It's not a sentence humans say. Yeah. Like, that is... Honestly, it is my least favorite line in Harry Potter. It makes no sense. It serves no purpose. And if this is what's really happening, would Petunia really, like, make that connection? I, I'm not sure. It just, it just seems very vague. That's all. It, it, that may make me a bad Harry Potter fan, but that is my least favorite line. Nah, I, I, I've never yeah. understood it or liked it. It's just a weird... Of all of the things that are quotable, that's the worst. <laughs> this next chapter didn't really get a lot, but one line where um, it says, Whenever this thought occurred, Harry invariably slid off his bed and began pacing around. <laughs> yes. Whenever a thought occurs, I must exit my bed and begin pacing around. Yeah, (laughs) I can see why that would resonate with you. (laughs) One of the things that really struck me in this chapter is 
No, for real, though. Why wouldn't Harry assume that Dumbledore had some kind of network of people around him to be sure he was safe? Like, did he really think that Dumbledore was just going to let him go out into the muggle world with no type of protection? Or at least spies? The, the same time, it, it's... Why did he not just let him be with the Weasleys? It would have been... It, to him, it would have been easier if he just had been with the Weasleys the whole time. I understand why that didn't happen, but Harry wouldn't have in that moment. And then you also see, I mean, they never say the word depression. Like, I don't think Mm -mm. at all. But you can, we can very clearly see Harry in a depression while he's stuck here at the Dursleys, waiting on answers back from anybody. (laughs) And then when the Dursleys finally leave, just the just Harry's responses back mm-hmm. when <laughs> when Vernon's like, "I'm gonna lock your door so you can't you can't get out and steal our food or do anything," and he's like, "Yeah, you you do that. That's fine." Harry just is so apathetic; he does not care. Mm-hmm. And then we get the advance guard actually come in and take him away. And I love that the first thing that Hermione says to him is she's filling him in on her defense for his trial. Of course. (laughs) Of course. Hermione should have been a lawyer. (laughs) Well, I mean, she did go into politics. Mm, True. And then he noticed that her hands too bore the marks of Hedwig's beak and found that he was not sorry at all. (sighs) The emotions in this chapter were very difficult. Yeah. (laughs) Harry can be kind of a crap friend sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm. Sometimes I wonder how he has friends, and sometimes I wonder how the Dursleys have not killed him yet. The way he talks back to them, it's just like, <laughs> you can't do that. You know you can't do that. Why do you do that? <laughs> and then Harry lets everything that has been building up for the month come out at once, and it says every bitter and resentful thought that Harry had in the past month was pouring out of him. Again, Harry can be a crap friend sometimes. (laughs) Like, he is, he, he ends up snapping on, like, everybody in the room. When you know you can't pass secret information in letters via Al in the wizarding world, no privacy. Kind of makes me wonder, why don't they figure out how to use the Muggle Post? Get a P.O. box? (laughs) No one will track it. Be fine. Maybe. We also get the uh, extendable ears in this chapter, which I love. <laughs> I, they're confusing and gross. <laughs> they are very grossly described, but that would be so handy to have. Right. Quick trivia question. How do Dudley Dursley and his gang spend every evening, according to Harry? Chugging malt drinks and committing arson... Committing fraud with his fake ID, pretending he's bigger and badder than he is, or vandalizing playgrounds and throwing rocks at school children. This is Jeffrey, the financial advisor for Spew at Gringotts Bank. And now we return to Spew. Alright, Lavender. How did Dudley and his gang spend every evening? Vandalizing the playgrounds and throwing rocks at school children and random passerby cars. Yeah, this one was not a difficult trivia question, but it had some decent um, choices. 
Yeah, chugging malt drinks and committing arson is my favorite. <laughs> it feels like it could have been the answer. <laughs> and then in The Order of the Phoenix, I like the way this chapter is written in the fact that everyone is having separate conversations and none of them are really important, but that you just kind of slip from one conversation into the next and it's relatable. Yeah. It feels very realistic. Like this is a scene that would, you know, naturally play out in real life. Although everyone is like mad at everyone and I don't like it. Yeah, it seems like everybody's got a little cabin fever. Also, I don't really understand what exactly Molly is actually trying to keep from the kids. Like, <laughs> I, I understand why she doesn't want them involved, but there really isn't anything that they're told that they couldn't already really guess. So I, I, I don't really understand what the secret she's trying to keep from them is. See, and to me, this is when we really see Molly, like, really come and not even come into, but you, you really see how much she cares for Harry. It struck me in, in the last book, in Goblet of Fire, when she showed up to watch Harry do the third task. Mm -hmm. But this is when you really see it on a more personal level and how much she really cares for Harry from the view of a mother. Mm -hmm. And how motherly she really is towards Harry. It's, it's very touching. I mean, she even squares up with Sirius. <laughs> and that's... It's not her motives I'm confused by. It's just... I don't know what it is she thinks she's actually keeping from them. Yeah, she just doesn't want the kids, like, involved at all. Period. She doesn't even want them to know anything. I guess because she knows that the Golden Trio are super curious and apt to do things on their own. And she's yeah. like, man, if we even give them, like, a sliver of information, then they're going to want to go to the Department of Mysteries and try to <laughs> figure it out for themselves. Then the next morning, we get this nice little sentence um, between Molly and Sirius. They were both speaking in carefully light, polite voices that told Harry quite plainly that neither had forgotten their disagreement of the night before. You gotta love being nice for the kids. <laughs> Reading people's emotions is a thing. Yeah. Something that I both struggle with, but also am quite attuned to at the same time. Mm-hmm. Poor Creature has just been talking to himself too long. Yeah. Creature's had a rough go. Also, like, what is... Is he just supposed to take care of the house? Like, I don't... What, what happens if they don't have anyone to take care of? It's just like... Yeah, it's weird. He said somewhere in here that he was taking... He was taking orders from, you know, his mom's portrait. Right. Fear jabbed at his insides like needles as he wondered what was going to happen to him. This is an accurate description. Needles. We also see the... Or hear about the stolen cauldrons again here. <laughs> In the form of Molly screeching at Mundungus to get it out of the house. Um, on the way to the Ministry of Magic, the word skip is translated to dumpster in the U.S. version. Oh, well, that's good. I am, I am glad for that. Because <laughs> that definitely would have confused me. Still, even as an adult. And then the fact that 
even wizards have bored employees that waste receipt paper. <laughs> I know, <What>? right? <laughs> I, I, I don't understand. I mean, I guess, okay, but such a waste of paper. <laughs> wizards do waste a lot of paper in general, though. Yeah. Also, when it was describing where the aurors worked, it sounded like a clubhouse made out of cubicles that Arthur was not allowed in. Yeah. I, yeah, I can see why you would think that. Yeah. One of my favorite things in the Ministry of Magic chapter is <laughs> when we learn about the enchanted windows and mm -hmm. <laughs> what was it? The uh, magical maintenance. <laughs> Whenever they want a pay raise or if they're just, you know, unhappy in general, they can make it look like it's hurricaning or something outside instead of sunny windows. I don't know. That's I've always loved that. I always thought that was so funny. I also wrote down, don't press elevator buttons. <laughs> I don't really know why I wrote that down. Um, <laughs> but I'm sure it's a good life lesson. I'm trying to think of where you would think that too. <laughs> I think it was just the, the fact that they were stopping at like every single floor. Oh, true. You'll get to where you're going eventually. And throughout the first several books, there's mention that Arthur worked way up on the second floor, and I'd always thought that was weird, but, like, now, seeing that the fact that it's underground, and then you, like, literally go way up to the second floor, it does feel like he's in the basement, you know, like that yeah. corner office that no one talks about, and, <laughs> and I wrote this because of the way it was describing how they were making sure that they were going to get him to this meeting on time and no matter how much you like double check you're still wrong yeah it's like they don't have any protocol like even at one point harry's like sorry you know i didn't realize that the time had been changed and they're like that's not our fault we sent an owl this morning like y'all don't have like a prior written notice law or something must be given 48 hours advance notice or something come on come on well and Normally, owls come directly to you. Right. And in this case, they just went to Arthur's office instead. There was no attempt to actually get a letter to Harry. No. The whole thing is a setup from the beginning, and it makes me mad. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I wrote wordless armchair. I see that. <laughs> I don't know what exactly that means. Um, I'm sure I'm referencing... Um, Dumbledore's armchair, but I don't know what I meant by wordless. I'm guessing it was an autocorrect, <laughs> but I'm not sure what from. Nope. I also was just very irritated by the fact that they just kept cutting Harry off and wouldn't let him talk. Nope. And it wasn't like there was any kind of legal protocol they were following either. They were just like interrogating him. Exactly. And that's what kept irritating me. Like, it, this is, I mean, if y'all are going to do, a, like, a full panel interrogation with the Minister of Magic and the full, I can't even pronounce what they're, the Wizgamot? <laughs> Wizengamot? Wizengamot. If you're going to have the full Wizengamot and the Ministry of Magic do it, then you guys at least need to follow legal protocol. And until Dumbledore showed up, they weren't. A few other members of the Wizengamot laughed with her. It could not have been plainer that not one of them was really amused. People laugh because they're 
superiors laugh, and then people don't believe them that um, people are forced to do things for jobs. Human beings are terrible. Yeah. Agreed. And then in the next chapter, The Woes of Mrs. Weasley, this is where I actually got the most notes. Up to this point, I really didn't have a lot. And this time, that was all sorts of interesting things. (laughs) So first off, Ron yells, I knew it. Punching in the air, you always get away with stuff. (laughs) Such a hater. I feel like I always get away with stuff and I don't like it. Getting away with stuff is bad, but then you don't get away with stuff and then that's also bad. It just makes you feel guilty. Living at the headquarters of the anti-Voldemort movement was not nearly as interesting or exciting as Harry would have expected it before he'd experienced it. (laughs) I don't really have anything to say on that. I just wanted to bring that sentence. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) At least now Harry gets to see why, well, he should already understand why if Ron and Hermione knew any sensitive information that they couldn't put that in paper. But now he can also see why they couldn't, because there was nothing going on except a bunch of cleaning and a crazy old house elf. And then referring to the twins apparating, he was so used to them doing this by now that he didn't even fall off his chair. (laughs) Wasn't even scared. I don't... I don't think loud... uh, I'd still react, even if I know loud sounds are coming. See, Fact that I react before the loud sounds come when I know they're coming. I was about to say, I'm, I'm worse if I know it's coming. And that applies for a lot of things. Like, whenever I go to get a shot or something, I always tell them, I'm, I'm like, hey, don't don't count down. Don't go one, two, three, because if you say three, I'm going to jump. So just, just take me by surprise. Just do it. <laughs> and then they were talking about all of the past Defense Against the Dark Arts teachers. And it said that one of them was dead, one of them was sacked, one of them had their memory erased, and one of them spent the entire term in a trunk. And so I'm like going through that and I'm going, so they're saying that Lupin was sacked. Didn't he resign? He did. He resigned before he was able to be sacked. I I just thought that was a weird, I, I, I just thought it was odd that they would refer to it as Lupin was, as being sacked. Because... That's not the way I remember it at all. See, and this whole scene with Ron getting the... It's the prefect, and that sounds so weird saying. But with Ron getting the prefect's badge... (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, this whole scene that nobody believes that Ron could have done it, it just strikes me as very odd. Yeah, but also, I kind of get... He does embrace it fairly quickly, but at first he... Doesn't really seem like he wants it, doesn't really want the responsibility or understand why he's been giving the responsibility. And Harry is like expecting it, but then also like not wanting it. And I don't know if I feel closer to Ron or Harry in that moment. I just feel like everybody always has this idea in their head that Ron can't do anything, like anything, even the simplest of tasks. And I don't feel like it's warranted. Also, Harry, Ron, Neville, and... Yeah, Seamus and, um, Dean? I don't know, either one of them seem like a better choice to me. Also, 
they made a big deal talking about the fact that, like, Dumbledore specifically chose them. I thought head of house chose prefects. I have no clue. <laughs> I mean, especially why would Malfoy get prefect if Dumbledore chose? Well, why wouldn't he? Maybe head of house chooses, and then maybe they have to submit them to Dumbledore for approval? Maybe? It's just weird. I, I really don't think Dumbledore would have given it to Draco. Snape would have, and then Dumbledore would have approved that. But I don't think if Dumbledore chose, he would have chose Draco. Mm, speculation. I think Dumbledore might have hoped that I would be able to exercise some control over my best friend, said Lupin. I need scarcely to say I failed dismally. Dumbledore makes bad decisions. Yeah, <laughs> that's just what that one boils down to. If anything, I think Lupin getting Prefect probably gave them more privileges. Like, them collectively, the Marauders as a whole. <laughs> yeah. And then when Moody is showing Harry the picture of his parents, it says Moody was under the impression he had just given Harry a bit of a treat. Yeah, and then Harry goes morbid for a little bit here. Bless his heart. Yeah, this is... People do this a lot. They, like, here's the thing I know you like. Here, look at it. Here, you want this? <laughs> here's your Christmas present for the next ten years. Yeah. <laughs> I'm guilty of that. That's what that made me think of, though. Just, just the way that... That and also the way that people think they're helping when they're not. People think they're helping all the time and are just making things worse. Yeah. It's true, but I don't want to deter people from trying to help. And the final chapter we're going to be talking about today is Luna Lovegood, which before they left, the twins are hurling their trunks down the stairs and hit Ginny. And <laughs> I just don't understand why they're so unsafe with their pranks. Like, if they want to open a joke shop, I feel like they would almost be more cautious and safer and able to like make sure everything is safe in the long term but i'm not sure their products are safe i <laughs> they're just so careless yeah the, i mean the line in the book is that they knocked jenny down two flights of stairs yeah like that's not just getting bumped in the shin with a trunk <laughs> And then I just wrote down one line about Luna, and that is, she did not need to blink as much as normal humans. <laughs> I love the descriptions of Luna. Like, from here on out, now that we've met Luna, I love all the descriptions that people come up with for her. And also in this chapter, when, because at the beginning of this chapter, they're going to uh, the station to go back to Hogwarts, and Sirius comes as a dog, of course. Mm -hmm. And he just, you know, he finally gets out the house, and he goes a little crazy, chases his tail, and he chases the pigeons and such. And I just feel like we can almost all relate to that right now with Corona. Because whenever I actually do get out of the house to go, like, grocery shopping or something, I feel like I don't know how to act. <laughs> or if random people do happen to talk to me in public that I don't know. Like, I really don't know how to act. I feel like I freeze now. I don't know. <laughs> don't know what to do. Oh, I, I had a hard time with the arrows on the floor. I mean, I had a hard time going the right way down parking lots. But then they put the arrows in the, the, the stores and then I couldn't, I kept just like walking the wrong way and then turning around so I could go the right way and it seems kind of counterintuitive. But then now they've removed the arrows and now I don't know what way to go. Yeah, I didn't follow the arrows because I never saw them until too late and I was like, okay, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna get my ice cream because I'm already halfway down the aisle now. 
And I genuinely wasn't trying to be a jerk, a corona jerk. <laughs> it was just pure accident. If you would like to join the conversation, you can always send us owl mail at spewcast at gmail.com or send us a howler by uh, sending a recording there or by giving us a call at 407-706-SPEW or clicking the link in the description. You can also check out our website at spewpod.uk. We're on Twitter at Spectrum People. We're also on Facebook. You can go facebook.com slash spewcast. We're on Instagram at SpewPod and TikTok at SpewCast. Our theme music is by Joan Burr. And until next time, I'm Queerness. And I'm Lavender. And as Luna Lovegood says, don't worry, you're just as sane as I am. Bye. Bye. Bye.